What is up, Cubs fans, and welcome to True Blue Cubs. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. If you are listening for the very first time, welcome. Welcome, fellow Cubs fans. Or maybe you're a hater. Maybe you're some sort of Cardinals fan or Brewers fan or White Sox fan, and you come to hate. Well, I say get the hell. I don't know why I got so excited just then. That's not a good way to start a podcast. Or maybe it is. I'm feeling in a silly mood. The Cubs took two out of three, actually three out of four, counting the Field of Dreams game from the Cincinnati Reds. We'll talk all about that. And one player in particular who seems right at home in Cincinnati, and that is one Ian Happ, who just destroys baseballs whenever he's at the Great American Ballpark. We'll also talk about Seiya Suzuki. Seiya Suzuki, everyone, not having a good season. Are you worried? Are you concerned, fellow Cubs fans? We'll dive into that and some other fun notes. But first, I want to talk about the major news that's going on throughout all of baseball. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me let me pause for a second. I want to give a good shout out. I was on uh, a great podcast. So thanks to Danny Rocket and Michael Cotton for having me on their podcast called Ron Santo. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's called Sun Ranto. I can't believe I messed it up that badly. The Sun Ranto podcast. It's probably one of the longest running Cubs podcasts. They go live on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, they do a wonderful job. I'm a big fan of both those guys. So shout out to Danny Rocket, Michael Cotton. Also, our guy Crawley from um, Fly the W podcast. He was also on and telling us about his experience at the Field of Dreams out there in Dyersville, Iowa. I do have a note for, uh, in addition, I talked about the Field of Dreams game on the last podcast, but I wanted to add this. I think, here's what I would do going forward. Now, Frank Thomas and the ownership group that owns that land on the Field of Dreams, they announced that they can't do the game next year because they're doing a lot of construction. They're going to make into one of those crazy things where it's going to be Little League tournaments all summer long. And it's a real racket what they've done with uh, travel ball in Little League. Uh, it, it's, it costs a fortune. They've re- they're really pricing out, um, you know, kids whose parents don't have the means and all just to profit. It's, it's sad. It's sad in a lot of ways because, you know, parents out there want to make their kids happy as best as they can. So they'll do whatever it takes and they'll pay whatever it takes. And a lot of these people, I believe, are praying on parents saying, hey, if you want your kid to have a shot at a scholarship, when they know damn well their kid probably doesn't have a shot at a scholarship or being drafted, and they're just going to keep milking that cow for all it's worth. It's it's disgusting. I'll, I'll say it. I'll just come out and say it up front. That doesn't mean if, look, if you coach a travel ball team and you're listening to this podcast, my heart goes out to you. The coaches do the best they can and all that, and they, they're they good. I, I mean, often you do get what you pay for, but as a whole, I don't like the way the system has gone. It's really changed. You know, I've, I've been out of high school for almost 20 years now. Actually, my 20-year reunion coming up next year. And just it's night and day from what it was in the early to mid-2000s to what it is today in regards to um, the travel ball situation. You know, I think other sports saw what AAU was doing in basketball and thought, oh, let's get our hands in those pockets. And it's, it's disappointing in a lot of ways. And I don't think it's good for sports as a whole. I mean, it's good for a certain segment of the population. Anyhow, this is, uh, so they're not going to have the field of dreams game next season. When it comes back in 2024, here's what I want major league baseball to do. Now, now stay with me on this one. I want them to move the game, not from August. Don't, don't take, don't have it take place in August. August is a great month. Don't get me wrong, but you know, they could do a Cooperstown game in August or, or some other fun game, but here's where I want them to put it. I want them to put it on July 4th evening, 4th of July night. That's what I want them to do. And I want it to be the two teams who were in 
the previous season's World Series as like a one-off. You know, they could have on the Thursday night or whatever, and then those two teams could go play somewhere. You know what I mean? But a schedule like that. Because I thought about it this way. The NFL owns Thanksgiving. The NBA owns Christmas. Hockey is starting to make some ground with the New Year's Day tradition of playing the Winter Classic, you know, the outdoor game that they play at different stadiums. A lot of fun. College football is all over the holiday season, too. Baseball, though, I mean, yeah, there's Memorial Day games, there's a Labor Day game. And yeah, there, are, there are games on the 4th of July, but it doesn't dominate. People go out to parades during the day. They barbecue during the day on the 4th of July. At night, of course, there's fireworks. I get all that. But at night, have that premier big matchup game. So this season, it would have been the Braves versus the Astros you know, in a rematch. And I think that's what gets you excited. Don't just pick random teams. Like they picked the Cubs and Reds and then the Cubs and Reds were terrible. And they were like, kind of like, oh man, we we wish we didn't pick these two teams. So that's how you ensure that you're going to have a marquee matchup by having the previous uh, World Series uh, teams that faced each other in the World Series. So the previous World Series matchup. There you go, Joe. That's how you sound professional. NBA does it. The NBA doesn't often on Christmas. You'll see, see two teams that locked up in the finals the year before have them face on Christmas Day. It's I think it's just a way to like put more of a spotlight on the game. And I, I think that's that's how they should do it. Own the 4th of July. 4th of July, baseball, make them synonymous. Then you could have also, they should be doing more specialty games throughout though. You know? Um, and if you don't want, if you want to keep the Field of Dreams game in August for whatever reason, 4th of July, you do a Sandlot game. What do you think of that? Huh? You, you make a sandlot. You don't go to the original one because I'm sure that's only like 180 feet down the line. You know, so the Yankees would be all over that. But you do one where you make it and you make it look like a ragtag, you know, all messy, not the best field. You have the players wearing unmatched uniforms. They can all wear the same hats, but like, you know, have some fun with it. This is the thing that baseball has that other sports don't really have is that it's outdoors, it's in the summer. You know, I mean, sure, some people play basketball outdoors and football. Yeah, of course, it's outdoors, but football has fall and winter. Own the summer. Show people be like, hey, this is what it's about. Give it that neighborhood feel, even if it is bringing it back to a time, you know, bringing it back to the 50s and 60s, which sadly, a lot of the people who were watching baseball as children in the 50s and 60s, they're not all there anymore, heartbreakingly enough. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of a cool thing. People like throwbacks. And if baseball could capitalize on that, then they're, they're going to be in the money and in a good way. All right, let's talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. That was the big story going all around baseball. On the True Blue Cubs podcast, typically I focus all my energy towards the Cubs, but this is too big a story not to talk about. He was uh, he got pinched. He peed in a cup and that pee came back dirty. Fernando Tatis Jr., 80-game suspension. He tried to say it was medication for some hemorrhoids or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of hemorrhoids having a side effect like that. I don't, I kind of I don't believe him. And the craziest part about this to me is all of his teammates and the San Diego Padres front office just come out saying, "Yeah, we're we're mad at him. Yeah, we're he's a dope. Um, he needs to grow up, and he's got to stop letting people down because this is bullshit." They just came right out and and tore him a new one. And part of me was like, "Wow, that's refreshing," you know. And then part of me is like, I think he's pretty down as it is. You know, I think maybe support him publicly, but then privately be like, hey, dude, 
dude, yo, look over here. Eye contact. Get it together. All right. Do you really need that stuff? Or were you trying to speed up your recovery time? Because, you know, he did mess up his shoulder. How do you mess up his shoulder? He had this whole big injury out of surgery, screwing around on a motorcycle. They're trying to tell him, listen, man, we got like $350, $400 million invested in you. You know, we handed you the keys to the kingdom and here you are peeing in the hallways. All right. We got a golden toilet for you. Use it. Pop a squat on that. We smearing feces all over the walls of this castle that we gave you. And I understand. And they're thinking too, hey, we just traded a bunch of guys to get Juan Soto, who's also one of the best players in the league. We're going for it. We're doing everything on our end to try to win a World Series. We want a ring. Do you want a ring? You don't want a ring? Like, that's what they're trying to convey to Fernando Tatis Jr. Also, kudos to Major League Baseball for suspending him. 80 games. I say this because there are some sports where when a superstar acts naughty, they might just sweep that under the rug. Well, he didn't do anything. What are, you, what are you talking about? But baseball's like, no, he screwed up and he failed the drug test. I don't think he needs the drugs. I've seen that guy swing. He seems like a skinny guy. But what a lot of people forget is performance-enhancing drugs, whether they're steroids or HGH or whatever he took, some testosterone booster, a lot of it is for recovery time. A lot of it is to speed it up and to heal faster, You know, activate that Wolverine gene and get back out there. And I think that's why he used them. He would have been better off admitting that. Everything I just said, which I believe is what happened, if he would have came out and said all that, I think when he comes back sometime in the next season, because he's going to be out a lot of games in 2023 as well, he comes, you know, I think people would be a little bit more understanding. They get it. You're 23 years old. You signed a mega deal or 22 years old. I mean, he is crazy young. Let's get, let me give me one second here. I'm going to get Tatis Jr.'s uh, age correct. I don't want to keep saying the wrong age here. Yeah, he's 23 years old. And since signing that deal last year, he got hurt at one point last year. Yeah, that motorcycle accident was bad. He is a guy who had a big year last year, though. I mean, looking at his numbers, he came up in 2019. I mean, he hasn't really been fully healthy, although 2019 he was 20 years old, and I believe he didn't. He was third in rookie of the year. I don't think he was hurt in 2019. 2020, uh, played all games but one. You know, it was only a 60-game season. He played all 59, was fourth in MVP voting. Uh, won the silver slugger, had some massive numbers. I mean, I'm looking at a 937 OPS. He was 56% above league average as a hitter. That's tremendous. And then the 2021, in only 130 games, he only played 130 games, but still was third in MVP voting. Was an all-star silver slugger as well. Led the league in home runs at 42. Can you imagine missing 32 games, but still leading the league in home runs. I mean, that's what kind of power he has. Not to mention he stole 25 bases. He would have he would have easily been a 30-30 guy had he not been injured. Could have possibly flirted with being a 40-40 guy. 282 average, 364 on base, 6-11 slugging. I mean, the dude is a and that was at the age of 22. 22. He's an incredible talent. And I yeah, I hope he learns from all this. The only reason I say I wish they didn't come at him so hard publicly. Is just because I look and I don't know Fernando Tatis Jr. like they do, but there are some guys, and I don't know why I have this bad feeling with him. Is that some people need to be kicked in the ass as a motivator and as a hey, you're better than this, and other people need to be like lifted up a little bit, you know, and to do it publicly. Look, baseball's got guaranteed money. He might just be like, you know, screw you guys. All right, I'm going to be a lazy player for the next 14 years, collecting 400 million dollars. Uh, because yeah, I screwed up, but you guys made it worse. You went public. You didn't come to my face, 
or maybe they did. I don't know the behind the scenes thing, but I could see that upsetting a guy who has been a phenom since the age of 20 years old. It's, and again, it sounds like I'm making excuses for him. I very much am not. I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes. And again, I, I would have handled it differently. Of course I wouldn't have gotten caught. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just, there's a part of me that always feels when I see a guy getting dumped on by all angles and that's 100% it's what, ha- what is happening to him. And, and yes, deservedly so, but people are human at the end of the day. And, um, this is a guy you want to come back stronger than ever. And you think this is the best way to get him to actually wake up and start taking his life seriously. Then yeah. All right. Good move. Good move, San Diego. All right. Now onto the Cubs. Ian Happ had a great series as he continues to do. I'm worried that if the Cubs don't extend Ian Happ, which I do think they should, I know we have a insane amount of talented outfield prospects coming up through the pipeline. And, and very soon they are banging on the door. A few of them, Brennan Davis being the most obvious one who will reserve resume play soon. He's going to uh, play some games soon, which is great. That's encouraging. Hopefully he's, I mean, don't look for him to be a world beater right away. He had a back surgery in May. It's going to take some time. I still think he's a guy that he'll start next year in Iowa. And if he's kicking ass, he could be brought up as soon as, you know, June 1st. I really could, I really could see that happening, but Hap is not going to break the bank as far as an extension goes. He's coming off his first all-star season, his first full season, which he's like, yeah, this is what we drafted in the first round. He's shown flashes throughout his career before, but he's looking great. Plays an above average left field defense, could play center field. Okay. Could still probably give you some quality innings at second base, switch hitter, great clubhouse guy. And again, won't break the bank. So giving him a four-year deal, especially with the DH, if you have P. Crow Armstrong and Davis and then Suzuki, and you're like, what do we do with Hap? You could probably trade him. His contract won't be not movable. He's not a guy looking for eight, nine years at an insane amount of money. You could probably get him at four years, $60 million. I'm not kidding you with that. He's only making $7 million this year. I bring that up because I have this feeling that if the Cubs don't extend him one way or another, if they trade him in the offseason, when he becomes a free agent, he's going to Cincinnati. That dude just looks at home in that ballpark. He is, I think he just hit his, what number was it, like his 16th home run there or something like that? He puts up Barry Bonds numbers in that ballpark. It's crazy. It's And he went to the University of Cincinnati. He's from Pittsburgh. So he's got, he just must have a feel for it. He must like that Ohio air. It was his 23rd home run against the Reds and his 14th at the Great American Ballpark to get that stat correctly. Um, yeah, he mashes. He puts up Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth numbers in that ballpark. And my fear is that he will end up a red. So if we're not going to extend him, maybe we trade him to an American league team that we think he'll just enjoy so much more. He won't even flirt with the notion of signing with the reds one day, because I could see him destroying us and us really regretting it for years and years to come. If we, if he ends up as a Cincinnati red, because he is just a different kind of animal in that ballpark. All right, I do typically want to keep this podcast to 15, 20 minutes top. So I got about five more minutes with you guys. By keeping it to 15 to 20 minutes, I'm able to give you a few more episodes a week. I hope you've been enjoying them so far. Early on when I did this podcast, I'd have a guest on. So I might start to bring in guests. And when I do, that'll be like a different thing. We'll talk about their history as a Cubs fan, um, how they became a Cubs fan, their favorite moments watching the team live, whether it be at Wrigley or on the road how they felt when they won the World Series, all that kind of stuff. That's what those episodes will be about when I do have guests or when I bring guests back aboard. 
quick note, the Cubs are 12 and nine since the all-star break and not since the all-star break. I'm sorry. Since the trade deadline, that's kind of interesting, right? Or no, since the all-star break, they're 12 and nine since the trade deadline, the trade deadline was not uh, 21 days ago or, or was it? No, it wasn't. So um, that's interesting. Wilson Contreras, by the way, has been hitting the ball. Great. Since the trade deadline has passed. It's almost like when players aren't stressed out, they do better. Interesting. Interesting philosophy. Okay. Suzuki. Look, he is not having a good year. He is a 0.4 war, and he's making $17 million a year. He signed a five-year, $85 million contract for 2022 through 2026. Um, look, it's a rookie year for the guy. He's only slightly below average overall offensively. The defense is now is uh, defensive metrics are always he looks fine defensively. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, not spectacular, but a little above average, I'd say it's tough with different defensive metrics. Every website has their own way of measuring things, and they're often all over the place. Um, he has uh 26% K rate, 9% walk rate. Those are both like the K rate's much higher than I thought he'd be. I thought he'd be a guy that'd be in the 18 to 20% range. Now, granted, first year in the major, so there's probably some adjustment, and then the walk rate also lower. So I almost wonder if they thought, hey, you're being too passive. Let's get more aggressive. And and now he's just kind of all over the place. 241 average, 314 on base, 410 slugging. Um, yeah, that's just not good across the board. Uh, his batting average against balls in play is 302, so that's pretty much solid right there. Um, that's nothing to make me think he's getting unlucky or or getting very lucky. Clearly, he's, he's not. Um yeah, I don't know. Stolen bases six. I'm just trying to look for silver linings here or there. I like his approach overall. Uh, I definitely think it's more of an adjustment. You know, he started kind of hot, went cold, then got injured, came back hot. Now he's been cold again. What I'm hoping for is he finishes the year strong. I know it doesn't matter for the Cubs at this point, but if he has a strong September, that gives him confidence into the offseason, and that's what you want to see. I am not writing off Seiya Suzuki right now. That, that would be a crazy thing to do this early. It's just a reminder, more so with Suzuki, because he's coming over from Japan and there's a cultural adjustment. You know, you're in a new city, a new country. You don't know the language as well as you'd probably like, all those kinds of things. So he has more of an adjustment than just, say, someone coming up from AAA or someone coming from another team. Because free agent signings with them come expectations and pressure. You know, so there are some guys that hit the ground running and other guys that take a little bit of time. I was looking at stats for a lot of guys who've switched teams recently. Now, this one was a trade, but he was extended right away. Paul Goldschmidt's first year with St. Louis was very, eh, little above average, 820 OPS. Now, at the age of 34, we're talking about drugs with Tatis earlier. Maybe we should look into Goldschmidt. Anyhow, <laughs> sorry, Paulie. Age 34, he's having the best season of his career. He's the runaway MVP in the National League, if you ask me. So it takes time sometimes. The Cubs throughout their history have always had players just not hit the ground running in terms of joining the team. Moises Alou back in 02 had a real slow start. I remember Derek Lee had a terribly slow start with the Cubs. Uh, other guys being um, John Lester only had a bad couple months and then he settled in real well, had a big second half in 2015, but it's not unheard of is my point. It's not unheard of. So again, let's not, let's not freak out, but I did want to pose the question. Are you worried about say Suzuki? Because if we are, then we're going to need even more help to compete in 2023, which I still believe is possible given the NL central. Isn't that scary? And I think we have players 
further along than we thought. You know, Keegan Thompson is a guy who needs to get shut down very soon. He had a very shaky performance. He's got like a four ERA in his last seven starts. I still think I still like him as a mainstay in the rotation, but this is his first full season and he's hitting an innings mark where I think we his some of his pitches are looking a little flat. And sometimes that comes from fatigue. And even though the radar gun looks like, oh, he's 94, 95, that's what he is. He's 95. He'll hit 96 here or there. But he's steady, he's a steady 95. And right now he's not looking all that's it's just not the command isn't quite there. So um, let's see what his average fastball has been this season. Fangirls usually does a good job telling you. He's been 93-8, last year 93-9. So that means he's about 94 average, which means you're you're hitting 96 tops is typically what I've seen him hit 96, maybe, maybe touch 97, but he usually sits 94 to 95 consistently. And um and and the command has just been a little bit off these last three or four starts in particular. As you've seen, he's racking up a lot of pitches. And I think maybe another start or two, and then they just shut him down for the year. Wade Miley's coming back soon. And tell Keegan, hey, great first full season. You're real sharp out there for us. Ate a lot of innings. Had some really stellar appearances, stellar starts. And we'll see you in 2023. So you got Steele is locked in. Thompson locked in. Stroman. Hendricks is your five and you go out and find an ace. Now we're cooking. We're cooking with some dynamite. Just got to add a couple hitters. And that's why I'm saying, uh, if we're worried about Suzuki, now maybe if they had three hitters, which you don't want to really get involved with because you gave him a lot of money. That'd be a very big miss on Judd's resume leading off. And, uh, and I guess it's a five-year deal. I mean, they missed early on last time with Edwin Jackson, but with a pitcher making $12 million a year, Versus a hitter making $17, $18 million a year. Because even though it was five years, $85 million, they did have to pay to get him over from Japan as well. So, And we all know how tight the Cubs' money has been, sadly. So I, I really – let me end on a high note. Say Suzuki will back, bounce back. I see him next year, 285 hitter, on base around 370, slugging about 450, 8-something, 835, 840 OPS. That's what I see out of him. So with 23 to 25 home runs, I'm serious. That's what I see Seiya Suzuki bouncing back with in the 2023 season. If I'm wrong, hold me to it. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for checking out the True Blue Cubs podcast. And as always, go Cubs.